Well, hello there. Welcome to a new episode of the Liberators Network podcast, episode 75 to be precise. And I'm your host for today, Christian Verwijs. Today's episode is all about team cognition and mental models and how this helps us understand why some scrum teams are more effective than other scrum teams. This episode is a bit more heavy on scientific research than most of our episodes, but there is a good reason for this. It's easy to give opinions in blog posts and podcasts, but it's often much harder to ground those opinions in evidence. And we think it's important that when you try to make your scrum team more effective, you do so with evidence-based suggestions. So in this episode, we're exploring scientific research that has been done into team cognition and mental models, and we translate it into actionable improvements that you can take with your team. Now, before actually diving into the episode, let me do a bit of housekeeping before I move on. I want to make a Apology for the lack of episodes for the last two weeks. We have this ambition to release a new episode every week, but with all the work that's going on at the Scrum Team Survey, this is not always as easy as we expected up front. Now, the Scrum Team Survey, you can find it at scrumteamsurvey.org, is actually a good example of what we're talking about in this episode. Because the Scrum Team Survey is a is an instrument that Barry and I are creating to help Scrum teams become more effective. And we want to do so in an evidence-based and scientifically validated way. So the survey is, a, is what it says, it's a survey, but it helps, your, helps you to diagnose, assess, and support your Scrum team in the areas that matter the most. When you complete the survey, you get a profile and you can then invite other people from your team and even stakeholders to give their take on how your team is performing. And based on that, we give you both the results in a profile, but also a lot of actionable feedback that you can use to improve your team. Give it a try, especially if you're interested in this topic of team cognition. You'll find that some of the questions in the survey actually tap into mental models and team cognition directly. Now, without further ado, let's move into the episode. Enjoy. A common platitude about teams is that 1 plus 1 equals 3. This highlights the notion that teams are more than just the accumulation of the skills, experience, creativity, and capacity of their members. If you've ever been part of a high-performing team, you know what this feels like. I'm talking about those moments of crisis where the team is faced with a huge challenge And everyone just seems to intuitively know how to act and constructively add to each other's contribution. It's almost like the team has a mind of its own. Organizational psychologists call this team cognition. And research in this area has much to say about what makes some teams more effective than others. And in this episode, we want to recap some of that research and translate it into actionable suggestions. Because the truth is that Even though there is a lot of research in this area, it's unfortunately often ignored by organizations and by teams in how they design, assess, and support teams. How mental models help us understand the world. In order to understand team cognition, we have to take one step back and look at how people individually perceive and understand the world and how they use that understanding to guide behavior. Now suppose for a moment that you're going for a nightly stroll in an unknown city. Would you take a shortcut through a dark alley? And if not, why not? Most of us perceive and interpret a dark alley as a dangerous place due to the potential for robbery, and so we avoid them behaviorally. 
Now suppose that this dark alley isn't in an unknown city, but right next to your house. Depending on where you live, this might change things considerably. For one, I'm perfectly happy to venture into the alley behind my house in the middle of the night. All I may find there is a stray cat. So, the way we understand the world around us is based on categories. A dark alley is a dangerous place if it's in an unknown city, but not when it's next to a place I call home. Over time, psychologists have come to call these categories and the meaning we assign to them cognitive frames or mental models. Cognitive psychologists have long argued that we make sense of the world and ourselves through such mental models. And while that may seem trivial, it has important ramifications for how to change behavior. For example, you can think of yourself as a shy and withdrawn person. Or you can identify and change the mental models that elicit withdrawal behaviors from social settings. Or you can investigate which models drive you to judge your own behavior in such a negative light. In fact, the most effective therapies are based on this approach called cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you want to learn more about this, you can check out Butler 2006 or Tolan 2010. And all the sources I reference in this podcast are all in the, in the show notes. So we've established what mental models look like for individuals. And that means we can also make the leap to teams again. Because there is a lot of evidence that teams also develop mental models about themselves, their work and their environment, and that those models also shape the behavior and effectiveness of teams. This may sound abstract, but it's quite easy to find examples if you know what to look for. One example is when teams have a clear and shared understanding of what quality means. This may be very clear in some teams, but other teams may have totally different ideas on what quality means to the members. So in Scrum, obviously, the definition of done is a great way to create such mental models. But if the definition of done is very unclear, or no one really knows what it says, or it's never used in actual work, then it's very likely that mental models about quality will be very diffuse, and every member probably has their own understanding of it. Whereas some teams with a very clear definition of done may have a very strong and shared mental model about quality. Another example is the purpose of your work together. In some teams this can be very clear, but in other teams everyone may have a different understanding of why they are a team and what the purpose of their work is. Another example is how teams respond to failure and uncertainty. Some teams may see failure and uncertainty as potentially dangerous and risky. They may try to avoid it. But in other teams, failure and uncertainty may be seen as an opportunity to learn or an opportunity to try something new. Shared memories of how teams overcame past challenges are also shared mental models, especially if what you've learned from those memories informs future behaviors for similar challenges. On a smaller scale, Team members also have mental models about what to expect from each other. So, for example, you may know who is good at a certain skill within your team or who is still learning and may need some help. But mental models can also tell you where to get help if you're stuck. And finally, mental models also concern the sequencing of work and which activities are involved. For example, if you're in a typical web application scrum team or scrum team that develops web applications, Every item on the product backlog may start with a design, where a someone with design skills 
creates a user interface or at least a very rough version of it. And maybe then it goes to a developer who creates a first working mockup of that interface. Maybe then there is someone who actually checks if that interface is working. Maybe the designer is involved to improve it, make sure the usability is okay. And finally, you create automated tests to make sure that the feature works. So there's a certain sequencing involved here of the steps that you need to go through in order to complete an item. And that's a mental model in its own right. And in some teams, this may be quite clear. So people may know very well which sequencing is generally necessary. In other teams, it may be totally unclear and every item is approached differently. The key point to take away from this is that the degree to which mental models are shared varies by team. And this has huge impact on team effectiveness. And this notion is actually at the root of what organizational psychologists call team cognition. One way to think about this is as a distributed team mind with its own memory and its own mental models that is shared across its members. Research has linked team cognition to higher performance and motivation and generally explains a substantial amount of variance in the effectiveness of scrum teams, approximately 20%. Now, I can imagine that 20% may not seem like much, but in most scientific research into groups and social psychology and organizational psychology, 19% is a huge amount of variance that you're explaining. So this means that team models have a big impact on team effectiveness. Now, if you want to dig deeper into the scientific research underpinning all this, I've listed a couple of resources to explore in the show notes, specifically a paper by this church and Mesmer Magnus from 2010. It is a meta-analysis and lists a lot of results that are interesting. And I'll talk a bit more about this coming in the coming few minutes. In fact, it's also good to point out that a lot of the measures that we use in the Scrum Team survey also tap into mental models about quality, product purpose, and safety. And we actually see similar patterns there in that they influence team effectiveness to a substantial degree. Now, it's important that the Church and Mesmer Magnus, the paper I just referenced, further point out that team cognition provides both the structure that guides behaviors in teams, but that team cognition also grows as a result of frequent interaction. So in a sense, the team mind grows as members work together more frequently. All this means that if you want to improve team effectiveness, team cognition is a strong contributor to design and optimize your team for. So what should a team mind look like, especially for scrum teams? In 2010, the scientists, the church and Masmer Magnus analyzed the results from 85 independent scientific studies into team cognition and team effectiveness, and they found several compelling insights. Now, this approach that they used is called a meta-analysis, and it means that a, a, a wide range of scientific studies is included to reach firmer conclusions because it allows you to see patterns across different studies and across different contexts. So for the remainder of this podcast, I will talk you through the three most important insights and translate them into actionable improvements that you can take with your team. The first insight concerns what cross-functionality should look like for scrum teams. The evidence clearly shows that it is more important for members to have a clear and shared mental map of what they know and what others know than it is to know everything equally well. 
In other words, cross-functionality is not a matter of achieving a state where everyone in the team can do any kind of task and knows the same things, but about making clear what each member knows and how they can bring that knowledge together. This is called compilation, where members know how to bring their unique knowledge together. And it's different from composition, where everyone shares the same knowledge. So what is important about this for your Scrum team? The first conclusion is that you can invest in compilation when you use skill matrices. Skill matrices make transparent who in the team has which skills, who knows what and where gaps exist. It's a good idea to periodically refine those skill matrices to reflect learning and growth. It's also helpful to create similar matrices for external dependencies so that it is clear where you can go for help and advice. A second conclusion is that practices like peer and mob programming are a good way to share mental models about coding practices and also for people to get a better sense of everyone's skills and strengths. A third insight is that if your organization or team invests heavily in the idea that everyone should know everything equally, this podcast and the scientific paper it's based on can hopefully convince them otherwise. It's really more helpful to learn teams how they can bring their individual skills together on a shared task rather than having everyone know everything. And finally, a conclusion is that the daily scrum is a great opportunity for compilation. You could even say that it exists for that purpose. How will team members in your team bring their skills, knowledge and strengths together today to achieve the sprint goal? So use the daily scrum for that purpose. The second insight we can take from the study of the church and Mesmer Magnus is that team cognition forms over time as the members of a team work together on shared tasks. In turn, working together f- creates and facilitates further collaboration. And Kozlowski and Ilgen in 2006 described this reciprocity as, begin quote, process begets structure, which in turn guides process, end quote. This also provides evidence for something that most of us have seen in scrum teams. If you change team composition, even by a single person, it sometimes feels like you have to start over as a team. Even small changes to a team can fracture team cognition by scooping out part of the team mind. And the team then has to effectively rebuild the mental models about who knows what in the team, as well as how to collaborate on tasks in this new configuration. And this isn't just a matter of creating new skill matrix, but also rebuilding the habits and the mental models for how decisions are made in a team, how you navigate conflict, how you set goals, and how you address problems collectively. So what does all this mean for your scrum team? The first conclusion is that whenever the composition of a team changes, it will take time to rebuild and synchronize mental models. So it's reasonable to prevent frequent changes to team composition, especially when your aim is to build high-performing teams. Even changes that are initiated by teams themselves still require recalibration and are very likely to cause a drop in effectiveness for at least a while. A second conclusion is that it's a good idea to purposefully spend time with reformed teams to talk about who possesses which skills, who is experienced in what, and how people want to collaborate together. One way to do this is through storytelling. You can use liberating structure like appreciative interviews to let team members share stories of how they collaborated successfully in the past, which steps were involved, what was done as part of each step, 
By going through these work scripts, you can help the team recalibrate its mental models together. A third conclusion is that when teams train together, they are more likely to develop more extensive team cognition. This is a finding reported by Stout, Kennenbauers, and Salas in 2017. This is actually really well known for teams in the armed forces and other expert teams like first responders. But it isn't that common for scrum teams. So don't just send a scrum master or a product owner to a scrum training, but do it together with the entire team to boost their team effectiveness with scrum. And a final conclusion for this insight is that one element of the scrum framework that is particularly useful here is the definition of done. The definition of done should be a really clear mental model that describes what quality means to a team. So it's a good idea to constantly refer to it in your deliberations and decision making. One approach is to take a few items from the sprint backlog and then purposefully talk about all the steps that you as a team needs to perform, in what order and by whom, to achieve something that is done. That's a good way to build mental models, and especially mental models about the sequencing of work. And that brings us to the third and final insight from the study by the Church and Masmer Magnus. Because they also investigated the role of interdependence in teams. And they found that the impact of team cognition on team effectiveness increases as members depend more on each other to complete work. And that makes sense. If people in a team are not working together and everyone is basically doing their own thing, the benefit of working as a team diminishes, so 1 plus 1 effectively becomes 2 again, and not the 3 that it could be. This finding also emphasizes why single shared goals like sprint and product goals are so important. They are shared mental models in their own right because they provide a shared explanation as to why the work is important and what is going to happen in which order. A good goal, therefore, should clarify a desired end state and guide the sequencing of events in that direction. Shared goals also create interdependence by giving everyone a clear reason to collaborate. And through that interdependence, team cognition will form more quickly and the team will become more effective. So what does this mean for your scrum team? The first conclusion is that when you recognize that your scrum team is more a group of individuals than an actual team, it's really helpful to invest in sprint goals and product goals with your product owner. Now we know how difficult this can be, so we created a couple of do-it-yourself workshops that you can give a try, and the links are in the show notes. These workshops allow you to identify and define sprint and product goals in teams that have little experience with this. And even when this is very hard, I hope this podcast also emphasizes clearly how important shared goals are to create effective teams. So if for some reason your organization does not allow you to create shared goals, this podcast can hopefully also convince people that in order to make your team more effective, it's really helpful to have shared goals. So maybe that can help too. And a second conclusion from this insight is that you can encourage team cognition through shared strategizing. Before you start work on an item as a team, strategize together which steps are needed and in which order to accomplish it. Now the sprint planning and the daily scrum are excellent opportunities to do this. And that brings us to the closing words for today's episode. This podcast was all about team cognition and shared mental models. 
And there's a lot more to say about this topic, but the key takeaway is that scientific research helps us understand why some teams are really teams and other just remain groups of individuals. We also offered a lot of actionable suggestions on how to develop team cognition in your team and hopefully this episode inspires you to rethink how you or your organization designs and supports scrum teams. There is clear scientific consensus on what makes teams more effective. It's unfortunate that most of those insights are largely ignored in practice. So let's take this knowledge into organizations and teams and help them become more effective and more enjoyable.